0: As we get started this morning, um, a couple things. Today we are talking about innumerable. And so I want to get you in that, that mindset of things that are innumerable. So I'm going to say some phrases, and as I say them, I want you to respond out loud with the word innumerable. So let's just start it off so everybody can say it. It's kind of a big word. Say innumerable. innumerable. Okay. Stars in the sky. Grains of sand on the seashore. Drops of water in the ocean. You guys are quick learners. You're doing good. Kernels of wheat that it takes to feed the world. Blades of grass in the world. Bill Gates net worth. Future upgrades to the iPhone. Okay, so i been stretching a little bit with that one, but you get it. There's something else that's innumerable. I want you to look at this chart that we're going to put up. And it's a chart of world population growth starting in 0 A.D., running to the present. And and what you'll notice on this chart is that around 0 A.D., there were around 1 million people. And as we move forward to about 1600 A.D., the population kind of stays stagnant. It just stays right there at about 1 million people. But from then on, from 1600 A.D. on, we have a rapid population growth up to today. And we have about 6 billion people in the world today. That's, so if your eyes are bad, that's what that chart says, okay? Um, you can look this up online. In our lifetime, the population grows from about 2 billion people to more than 6 billion people in a generation, in, in our generation collectively. That's innumerable to me. I, I, I can't grasp that. I can't fathom that growth going from, from 1 million to 6 billion just in that short span of time. But think about the opportunities. Think about the opportunities in business. If you're an entrepreneur and, and the population goes from two, uh, 2 billion to 6 billion people, think about the opportunities for things like technology. The iPhone and computers and iPads and things like that. Opportunities for those things from 2 billion to 6 billion people. Think about the challenges just in our lifetime, just in your lifetime, just because of population growth. The resources that it takes globally. Things like food and energy from 2 billion to 6 billion people. The challenges of things like boundaries. Literally, where do we put all of these people? I mean... There are wars that, 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 were, that this created uh, all the way back to, to us taking land and other people wanting land and more space. But most importantly, when we think about innumerable, when we think about this opportunity, this, this growth from 2 billion people to 6 billion people, I want you to think about the responsibility for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. And moving from, from 2 billion to 6 billion people in our collective lifetime... I want to think about that responsibility that we have and what, what we can do with it today. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here to, to share in your word, to look at, at the early church from the book of Acts, to see how, how you've unleashed your people on the world to do amazing things for your glory. And I pray, Lord, today that as we open up your word, you will open up our hearts to what you're saying to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to move from from a global world population growth, and I want to compare that to the growth of Christianity during that same time frame. And and what you're going to discover is that from 0 AD, of course we start with zero followers then, uh, up to 2,000 or current, and we move to approximately 2 billion people. I think we have a slide for that, Um, and maybe we don't. There it is. <clears throat> now, that's innumerable to me. We start with 0 and over the course of that time, there are now 2 billion followers of Jesus Christ. That's innumerable growth when when I look at it, it's innumerable. My mind just can't wrap around it like I said. But when we look at the early church in the book of Acts, it grew innumerably. Now, I want you to write these down so I get your pen out. All of these verses that I'm about to give you come from the book of Acts. And and you can pull these charts up online, just Worldwide Growth and and Worldwide Growth of Christians, and you can check it out. Uh, And here's what I want you to write down. It starts with Acts. So just at the top of your page, write Acts. And then I'm going to give you several verses that you can go back later when you're spending one of your hours in Bible study and you can look at these things. Okay? First one is Acts 1, verse 15. It begins right there with 120 people who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus Christ. And then Acts 2.41, in a very short amount of time, we go to 3,000 people are added to the number. So now we're at 3,120 people. I promise you that's all the math I'm going to do today. Then Acts, Acts 2.46, the Lord added to the church daily. And we go from there, we go to Acts 4.4, 4, where, where there were 5,000 men in the church and Then we go to Acts five fourteen, where God is just adding to their numbers more and more, men and women. The text says, and then Acts chapter six verse one, the church is growing daily at an innumerable rate. And Acts nine thirty one, we have this amazing statement where it says that the followers were living in the fear of the Lord, and by the encouragement and power of the Holy Spirit, the church grew and grew and grew until, in three hundred and fifty A.D., there were thirty one million Christians. That's innumerable growth to me. More than 31 million Christians was more than half the population of the Roman Empire. That's good news. It's very encouraging. But now I want to talk about this country. I want to talk about where we live, the United States of America. And, and I know we love our country. And, and, and like I said earlier, some of you have fought for it and have fought for the freedoms we have. And, and I love America But all of the recent studies and some of the most recent data that I've uncovered says that in the United States of America right now, that only 23% of our population, of all the people in the United States, 23% are regular participants in the life of a church. And, And incidentally, a regular participant is defined as someone who gathers with other Christians once a week for three out of eight weeks. The bar is not set very high there, is it? I want to let you know, here at Huntsville Christian Church, if you want to be considered a regular participant, we would like to see you here nine out of every eight weeks. Okay? So, um, that's preacher math. You'll figure that out at lunch. How did he come up with that? Um, You know, that means, the sad thing is, 77% of the people in this country do not have a life-giving relationship with a local church. And as I read through the New Testament, the Bible doesn't know of a Christian that does not have a life-giving relationship with the local church. If you are a Christian, then by definition you're a member of the body of Christ, the local church. So 77% of our population, and that's sad news because, you know, the early church grew at such an innumerable rate. I just read all those verses off to you and it just shows the the rate and how quickly the, the early church grew. But every study now shows that the United States of America, Christianity, is in serious decline. Brothers and sisters, we have got to own that. Not just here in this room. If you're listening online, we have got to own that. We have to take responsibility of that, in my opinion. So I want to look at what went wrong. What's going wrong? Where did the wheels start to fall off? How do we have this this massive growth? We, We get up to all these people, and then we just kind of fade out a little bit. What do we need to work on to get back to that innumerable growth of Christians that we see in the book of Acts? In order to answer that, we have to do a quick study of ology. One little old school for you. This is our study of ologies, okay? Can everybody see that? I've got the chart up. We're going to do a quick study of ology. And, and as you look at these, before we get there, I want to really break it down for you. You see, ology is from the Greek word logia, which means field of study. All right? So if you're studying, help me out here, if you're studying biology, you're studying what? All right, living things. Very good. Uh, if you're studying sociology, you're studying what? Okay, say it louder. Society, you're, you're studying Uh, The systems of living, you're studying humans. If you're studying geology, what are you studying? The physical earth, rocks, very good. If you're studying Latrinology, what are you studying? No, Latrinology is studying the writing on bathroom walls. (laughs) I'm not making that up, okay? If you're... (laughs) If you're studying piscatology, what are you studying? Piscatology. Yeah, who said it? Who said fish? Good job. The, uh, so, fishermen, you're studying fishing. So you say to your wife, I'm, I'm going out to study piscatology today, honey. <laughs> yeah, studying hard. All right? You can use that, and you can thank me for it later. Um, so that's the study of fish. Pisces is where that comes from. Now, if you're studying Philematology. what are you studying? Not the book of Philemon, but you're close. You're studying kissing. So, parents, if your high schoolers tell you that they're studying Greek, and you say, what are you studying? And they say, philematology, you need to be very aware of that, okay? So, there's a quick course in the studies of ologies. There are many of them. But what does all that ology have to do with the decline of more and better disciples in the United States of America? everything and that's what i'm going to share with you on these what we know of the first 300 years of the church when the, when the church grew at an innumerable rate is this christology which is the first one is the study of jesus what we believe about jesus okay so christology drove miss, missiology all right and missiology is what we believe the mission should be for the followers of jesus okay are you tracking that with me so far good So we have Christology is what we believe about Jesus. Missiology is what we believe the mission should be for the followers of Jesus, which then determines ecclesiology. And everybody knows that ecclesiology is the study of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, No, it's the study of the church, which ecclesia means called out ones. That's what we are. We're the called out ones. And I want to break it down for you this way. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And that's what the, the early church believed. So their mission, their, their missiology for the early church as individual followers of Jesus Christ was to seek and share Jesus with them. And so the, that mission of the early church as a whole was to seek, and share, or seek the lost and share Jesus with them or to seek and save the lost. So that's how those three things, those ologies fall into place there. And that's very good news. Up until about 325 AD, you see, the early church was doing this. That's, that's how they were, they were growing innumerably. And, and it was very good news. But in 325 A.D., what happens is just before that, in 313 A.D., is that Emperor Constantine, you may have heard of him, he makes Christianity legal. And he makes it the state religion. And you think, man, that's great news. The Christians finally get a break. All these years of, of persecution and all these other bad leaders and and the Christians who have been persecuted and living in hiding and, and poverty and, and on the outskirts of modern society now have gained a position of what you would consider power and influence. And so now it's cool to follow Christ. And that is great news. Actually, it's kind of bad news. Because, because what begins to happen as the church comes in to power, so to speak, under, under Constantine and, and this whole history, time, as the church comes into power, this ology stuff that I just explained to you gets kind of whacked out. And now we have the ecclesiology of the church determining the missiology of the church and the mission, and then the missiology determining the Christology, what will be taught and believed about Jesus. And now you're sitting there going, what? It goes like this. When you look at it this way, the church, around 325 A.D. and shortly after, the, during the Middle Dark Ages says that um, what we should do with our newfound favor in the land, the church is going, hey, we've got all this stuff. We're we're being recognized. What should we do? Uh, We're free to preach Christ without being persecuted. We're free to have power. We're free to have influence, to have money. What should we do? You know what they did? They built cathedrals. Great idea. But when that began happening, the ecclesiology of the church began driving the mission of the church, which then really began teaching some funky things about Jesus years ago. Stay with me. I'm going to give you an example. You see, when you start putting up huge cathedrals, and, and and just so you know, you can go visit these. They're all over Europe and and in the Mediterranean. They're everywhere. And when you put up these huge cathedrals, and I've actually visited some in London, and, and I've, I've been to the Mediterranean, and, and we've been to some of the different cathedrals, and they're just massive architectural amazements. They're amazing places to visit. But when you go there, these cathedrals have to be paid for. And so what happens is the ecclesiology of the church becomes, we have to keep the financial engine of the church running to pay for these buildings. And when that's your focus, some of these churches, these cathedrals, I've been to some of the cathedrals in London and in places in the Mediterranean, that when they were built, they put pubs in the basement. So you can go in and you can drink and you can go to church. Or you can go to church and then you can go down and drink. That's how they funded some of that stuff. You see what I mean by, by the ecclesiology changes the missiology, which changes the, the message of Jesus Christ. They put him in there when they built him. They didn't put him in as afterthoughts. And, and that's, that's the mission. And that will determine what will be taught about Jesus. And so really wild things begin to be being taught like indulgences. So, so at those particular churches, you know, you could like pay for your sins in advance. So you can, you can here's 50 in the offering and here's another 25 because after church I'm going downstairs to the pub and I'm going to drink $75 worth of beer. So you can pay for it ahead of time. Those are the indulgences. Those are where the, the Christology started to get mixed up. So, so you could sin and be forgiven in advance even before you sin just because you were thinking about sin. It was a great way to raise money for the church. Now, don't try that here. That's not at all what I'm telling you to do, and we won't let you get away with it, okay? We will call you out for it. I just want you to know that. Don't do that here. But as the church grew, okay, uh, the next thing they did was was, as if they hadn't already kind of confused some of these ologies. They began to get involved and mixed up in the political realm. As you look throughout history, the government and the positions of power in the church began to be bought and sold and presented as gifts in a political arena, And so instead of the local church as the followers of Jesus living out their lives, the local church being the hope of the world, people started putting their hope and their faith in the government, legislating Christianity, if you will. And and it just didn't work. And it didn't work in 325 A.D. And it won't work now because Jesus is the hope of the world, not the government. And then finally... As the church continues to grow and, and these massive, massive cathedrals are, are put up in, as the town center in some places. And, and all the people are coming to these massive cathedrals. See, mega church is not a new thing. all right? We think it is, but it's not. They've been around for years. And, and all the people are going to these churches, these big cathedrals that are in the center. People are coming. And there are some very bright entrepreneurial young people in the church, I'm sure. And they said, you know what? These people are coming from all around. Um, we should have a market on the weekends. We should have something for them as well. And, and it's part of church history. As you visit these churches, they'll tell you. One of the biggest markets was right outside these doors. And, and it's great because they have a market, and they literally would put the market around the cathedral and around these big buildings so that the, the church could become a provider of services. And so you could come in and buy your bananas and be baptized all in one stop. It was amazing. Um, I don't know why we're not still doing it. I'm kidding. It's a bad idea. But again, it it was a great way to raise money. And so consumerism begins to surround this church structure. And the church becomes a provider of services and a provider of of relics and things like that. Now, we don't deal with any of that today, right? Ever. You see, this is why all this ology stuff is important. The same things that were happening as a result of Constantine and his decision uh, to bring Christianity out. Is, is still alive and well in the Christian churches today. And is specifically, even in the United States and in a lot of our churches, and we don't like to look at it because then we start, you know, looking at ourselves. But as we see churches all around, and, and if you look around us uh, throughout America, you see churches being planted. You'll get something in the mail, hey, we're planting a church and wherever, and we're going to rent the little uh, lobby of a, of a strip mall, or uh, we're going to meet at a school for a while. And as we see small churches grow from a church plant, they, they grow from a small church into a medium church, and medium churches grow into large churches, and large churches grow into megachurches. And the discussion always goes like this. Well, we need a building now. Then we need a bigger building. Then we need a few buildings. We need a campus. We need several campuses. I, I watch it happen all over America. Now, now, you need to understand, I'm not against having a building when there's a need. But I think we can really look at what the needs truly are. But as a result of this, this same mindset, our ecclesiology starts to determine our mission, our missiology. And and when we allow those things to determine one another, it changes what we teach about Jesus, even in subtle ways, because we have to pay for these buildings, for these cathedrals. We have to keep the financial engine of the church running. I got to tell you this story. One of my early youth ministries in Florida, my youth group was growing, okay, we, we were reaching kids, a lot of kids in the neighborhood, kids of all ages. They were coming. Um, we were playing basketball. We were just reaching out to the kids in this community. Um, but I was spending money. And, and I remember being in a, in a board meeting one day uh, because the electric bill was going up because of the building usage in the gym. And I was asked in the board meeting, who's going to pay for the increase in the electric bill? I said, well, the church is. And, and let me explain something to you. This was a church that the, the property and the buildings were paid off. They had, a, they had a main building like this, and they had a gymnasium. And we started using this gym all the time. We were, anytime I could be there, we were opening it up. We were bringing kids in. We were telling them about Jesus. We were playing a little basketball. Just kids were coming of all ages. And, and they said to me, one of the elders, he said, um, well, it doesn't really matter because kids don't give. The ecclesiology and the missiology changed. I was there about telling kids about Jesus Christ. And I go into a board meeting and I get told, well, well, these kids, they're just kids. They don't have jobs. They don't bring money. Uh, coincidentally, those kids raised over $1,000 that summer for VBS and we sent a motorcycle into Haiti for a preacher. But those kids don't have any money. Um, now, I'm happy to tell you uh, we may not be that blatant today. And I'm extremely proud to say that is not the mindset of the elders and members of Huntsville Christian Church. Okay, And I mean that with all sincerity. Um, the, the, and our youth program knows that they're loved and they're cared for. But it's out there. And, and here's the thing, people. We will not have acts like innumerable growth in the kingdom of God with a mentality like that. When, when we get these ologies all mixed up and Christology is no longer at the top, we will not ever experience innumerable growth again. When we look at the political arena, and and I want to explain something to you very, very, very gently. I'm not here to promote anybody in a political arena, but I'm here to promote you in a political arena. And what I mean by that is I'm all for Christians voting and being a people of influence in our communities. But remember this. As you go to vote and support different people in a political arena, all legislation is the legislation of morality. That's what legislation is. It's deciding what's moral and what's not moral. It's what's right and what's wrong. But you need to understand, you cannot legislate Christianity. We can't. We, it must be a choice. We can't force it on somebody. It's based on their decision. It's not a vote. We can't vote. Like Constantine, he, he made a decision. Christianity is it. Just like you can't make a decision to say you can no longer worship God. That's not a legislative decision. And it can't be forced on someone. But when we, get our, when we get our ologies mixed up, and then what happens is we have people in the church calling themselves Christians, and we start to live like people outside the church. See, when we as individuals get our ologies mixed up, when, when we don't allow Christology to be first, it messes up our mission. It messes up what we're about as the church individually. And when that happens, we start living like people outside the church. Uh, let me put it to you this way. For those of us who are pro-life, Do you want to cut the abortion rate in half tomorrow without passing any new legislation? It's real simple. Put the word out, and Christians need to stop having abortions. That right there will do it. Because the numbers today are the same for Christians and non-Christians having abortions. It's about a 2% difference. We don't need to vote on it. We need to quit doing it. It's not our government. Sometimes it's us. It's the choices we make Where our ologies are that mess this up. You know, uh, (laughs) I love family values, friends. And and if you want to have family values, it's real simple. Christians need to stop divorcing each other. Because we're right there, neck and neck, with the unsaved world, so to speak, in divorce rate. We're right there in abuse rate. We're not far behind. You want family values? Work through it. Get some accountability. Get some help. Do what you need to do. But divorce is not an option, my Christian friends. The most important way that we can change this country and have an acts-like innumerable growth for the kingdom again is by living as followers of Jesus Christ. With Christology determining our mission as individuals. And with that mission determining how we're going to act in and out of the church. I'm not against having a big building. I just want you to to know that. I'm all about growth. I would love to burst at the seams here, knowing that we're impacting our community. But I've always said I would rather be the minister of the healthiest church in Alabama than the biggest. And that's, that's what I want. That's why you need to be here nine weeks out of eight so that we can be the healthiest. That's why when you're not here, you need to be spending those five hours in study and service, prayer, worship, those things. I'm not against buildings. I'm not against campuses. But I don't want to just be a provider of religious services. I don't want to just be that provider trying to get bigger and better and more religious and put out books and all these different things and feed. I don't want to feed into the consumer mindset of America. That's, that's not the missiology of what we're here to do. I mean, here's the thing. In our world today, you get people that come into church and they say, I'm here to be fed. Or or they say, My favorite is I'm I'm leaving the church to go to this other church because I want to be fed better. And and their worship time, it, it speaks to me, it's more dynamic. Or their preacher is better looking. I'm like, not in this town. Um <laughs> just kidding, kidding. But but the reality is, brothers and sisters, we on our own, we get our ologies mixed up, and, and when that happens. We become the spiritual equivalent of a bunch of gluttons waiting in line at a golden corral looking for our preference. we got to stay put. we got to dig deep. You want to see ax-type growth from the early church happen today? You want to see innumerable in this community? Dig in deep. Put ourselves out there. Get our ologies right as individuals, and then we hold each other accountable in this room for where we are. Who's first in your life? Christ. I'm going to get more on this in just a second. Um, we just can't do it. And the same stuff was happening with Constantine, even though they didn't have a golden corral. It was still the same type of thing. When they're getting involved with the providing of religious services, hey, you can buy your way out of hell. You can, you can you can go ahead and pay in advance for your sin. You can buy this relic because it was from so and so who touched this, who did that. And they're trying. They're they're selling services trying to say it was a better way, but it's no good. And the good news is, we can fix this. It is an easy fix. All we have to do is return to what we know about Jesus Christ. It is very simple. It's He came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19, 10, right here. He came to seek and save the lost. Which, because Jesus came to seek and save the lost... That determines our mission as individual followers of Jesus Christ, which can also be found in Matthew 28. That mission for us as individuals is go and make disciples of all nations, which then, if you're doing that, that determines what our church is about. And our church is about making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. We have the ability right here of innumerable. Right here, we have the ability of innumerable. But what we have to do is make sure we have the correct ologies. We have to make sure that it's Jesus first and that it's his mission. And as his people, we live out those two things. We have the power through the Holy Spirit of innumerable. So how do we do that? I'm going to show you this. So go ahead. You're going to need a pen and a paper because we're going to do a little bit of drawing together. And so I need to move this. And then... I brought markers because it's like art time now. It's going to be great. First off, i got to draw this picture for you. That's God. I'm not much of an artist. I know it's not a Michelangelo thing, but that's God. And he's got a smiley face and he's got a halo. That way you know that, that he is God. Now, I have a question for you. In John three sixteen, what 16, what does it say about God? Okay, stop right there. For God so loved the world. And that's what we're going to stop at because that's all we need. Right here, underneath God, what we need to know is that God, he's for the world. Okay? God is for the world. Understand that. God is for people. Because for God so loved the people of this world. So who is God for? people we went over this last week I asked them to bring this back okay last week was was kaleidoscope and, it, and it's amazing because that represents of course the holy spirit in the middle and all those different colors are all the people okay so God is for the people God is for is he for the white people yes is he for the black people yes is he for the Asian people yes Latino people Pakistani people poor people rich people healthy people sick people pretty people ugly people All the people of the world. God's for all the people. But unfortunately, the people of the world don't really buy that. Because the people of the world, they're more fearful of God. They see him as as like God with a big stick of judgment and wrath. Because we've done a poor job showing them any other God. And that's where we've lost Progress and where we've lost traction on that innumerable growth. You see, that's how they see him. So God, being God, takes more steps to let people know that he is for us. So if you're drawing these pictures out, because you can use this to share with your friends later if you need to. um, If you're drawing this out, we're going to draw God again. Right here is his halo. He's smiling. Okay. His eyes are kind of messed up. But there's God. And then here, here's us. We have on a baseball hat. So I wanted to make sure you knew the difference. Um, and we also have a frown. Humanity, that's humanity. Because of the way they see God. And, and it's sad. Um, but here's the thing God, He's still smiling, but, but humanity's not smiling. But, but God is here because God is not only for people, but he's with people, okay? So he's for us, and he's with us, all right? And, and so, like I said, we got a baseball hat because we're not God. We don't get halos. But see, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, God tried to show his people that he was, he was with them, and he did it pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. He talked to Moses in the burning bush, he, Daniel in the lion's den. And, and I could go on and on with all these cool Old Testament stories about God showing that he was with his people. But it's funny because when you read that, a lot of his people, it starts out, they saw whatever and they were fearful because they still saw his God with a big stick. So we're sad. That's why we're sad because we're fearful of God. So in our third picture, once again, here's God. He's got his halo. He's a little smaller because I'm running out of room. And he's got a smiley face. And um, so there they are. And, and we get here. Eh, I lost my place. There we go. <laughs> here we are. There's God. Here we are with our ball cap. And, and in this act, this simple act that changed everything, God is no longer for us or with us, but he, is, he becomes one of us. You see, in John 1, it talks about that in the beginning was, was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. And it goes on to say around verse 14 that he dwelt among us. And, and in the Message Bible, it actually says he moved into the neighborhood. That's cool. He's not just for us or with us, but he likes us. And that changed everything. Because D- Jesus doesn't just love us. He likes us. It's kind of like this. God comes in and he puts on, I'll do it up here so you can really see it. God comes in and he puts on a baseball cap. Jesus comes in and he lives with us and he likes us. And it's a result of God loving us and liking people that is Jesus Christ in the flesh. And we, we get the picture that, that it's God with us with his baseball cap on and he's holy and now... now we have smiley faces, so what we're going to do here is I'm going to turn that into a goatee. And now we're smiling, okay? There we go. Now you got it. Um, <laughs> changes everything because Jesus doesn't just like us or doesn't just love us. He likes us. And, and that's the result. We're all smiling now because God likes us. And we're all happy and we're smiling because Jesus Christ has come into our lives. And that's what made the early church grow innumerably when they let Jesus Christ come into their lives. In, in those first 300 years, Jesus Christ, His mission, and us as the called out ones living out His mission, not our preference, His mission. And when we live it, when we become for people like God, rather than um, rather than condemning people in their mistakes, that's what makes innumerable possible again. When we become for people, Greg Nettle is a pastor from Ohio. He tells a story of a time where he met up with a good friend of his in New York City who was openly homosexual. And they, they had some time to hang out. He was, he was doing a conference up there, and he's, he's, he goes and has coffee with his good friend. It was kind of a, a high school friend. Um, and they have a conversation, and, and they're having coffee, and they're just kind of hanging out, talking, catching up. And as their evening comes to an end, Greg says to his buddy, he says, Look, man, I don't know what to do with your sexuality and with your, with your lifestyle choices, but I want you to know this. I love you enough to die for you. As he tells the story, he says, You know what? my friend started crying. And his response was, that's enough. That's enough. Knowing that, that he loved him enough to die for him, he said, that's enough. And I heard that story and I was like, you know, I really don't know what to do with that. Uh, but, it, but it struck my heart. And I know this, that if God, if my God, and, and I'm following his, his, I'm following who Jesus is and, and his mission, and I want to be his called out one. And if, if my God Is for all the people of the world. Then who am I for? Who are you for? Don't say it unless you mean it. I am not for homosexuality. But because my God is for homosexuals, I am for homosexuals. Not to judge them, not to condemn them, but to love them. Because in condemnation, they will never understand any of these things that I just talked about. But in love, we open a door. I'm not for divorce. I come from a family that was divorced many times. I had several stepmothers, a few stepdads. I am not for divorce. But I could tell you what I'm for the divorcee. I'm not for living together before marriage. That's not how God designed things. But I am for the people that do that, not in condemnation. Bottom line, folks, I'm not for sin. But I am for the sinner. I hope you are too. Because in short, I am one. So are you. And in God's eyes, sin is sin. Big or small. Sin is why Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of us. Sin is what stopped innumerable from happening. Sin of pride. Sin of self. Sin of thinking we were better than the person next to us. And they really didn't need to hear that message of Jesus Christ when we set our mind like this right here, where we set our mind where our ologies are straight, then we're able to to be for people and we're able to be with people and we're able to be Jesus to people. And when we do that, we will have innumerable growth in God's kingdom again. But it won't happen until we do these things. Are you willing to set aside your comforts? Are you willing to set aside your prejudices? Are you willing to set aside yourself and be for people and be with people and be Jesus to people? That's that's really our only decision for today. I hope if God's put something on your heart and baptism is, is knocking at your door and you want forgiveness and you want to start fresh that you won't hesitate to come forward. But ultimately, Huntsville Christian Church whether you're here right now or listening on the internet later, the decision that you need to make is are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be a catalyst for innumerable growth again so that when we do get to heaven, God can say, hey, well done. You started something fresh. You started a new fire. I told you in the very first week, these are going to be some hard messages. God has given us the Holy Spirit, and through that he has unleashed us to make a difference in this world. Not to just hang out amongst each other. Are you willing to set aside your comforts and be for people and with people and be Jesus to people? That's our decision for today. I want people in this community, in this city, in this state, I want them to know that Huntsville Christian Church is a church that is for people rather than a church that is against people and that's judgmental. That's what I want people to know about Huntsville Christian Church. Not that there's a dynamic preacher, or that song services are amazing, but that the people in this building love the people that are outside this building and we love them enough to die for them. Will you stand and sing with us as we have our decision song?